Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. As we, uh, as we prepare for the word today, I just want to lay out one really revelation in the form of a rule of engagement. I shared it this morning, so if you heard it this morning, you're in good company. But I really feel in this generation, you know, as communicators, we love response. There's no doubt about it. It makes us feel good. There's noise and there's engagement. But the reality is, is we've reduced response to a hype thing, not realizing it's a holy thing. See, the Bible tells us that all of God's promises, this is such good news, are yes in Christ Jesus. That means everything he's promised you. Your family, your finances, your life, your legacy, your children, your children's children, your children's children's children. The Bible tells us God's not pondering. God's not wondering. God's not wandering. God's not sitting there going, I hope they do something good enough to be worthy of me fulfilling my word and my promise. No, the Bible says that everything he's promised you, friend, he's already said yes to. But there's a contingency in that passage of scripture. It says all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus and with our amen which means every time truth is being communicated, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's watching online, whether it's in this room today, every time you're hearing truth of God's word, you need to understand God's promises are never looking for your assessment. They're simply looking for your agreement. So often we sit in a service and go, how's that gonna relate to me? Or you don't even know my life. Or if you only understood my season or my situation or my circumstance, but you need to understand that God's promises are not looking for an individual to say how or why or who. God's just looking for an individual to simply say yes. And when there's more yeses than no's in any room, that's actually my definition of revival. And in fact, if I could take it one step further, this is the battle of our lives daily. Think about it. You could reduce your life to a battle for your agreement between God and the enemy. When you woke up this morning, when you drove here tonight, there's been a battle going on and it's a battle for your agreement. And when you align with God, you move towards faith. But when you align with the enemy and agree with the enemy, you move towards fear. When you drove here today, there was the challenge. Are you gonna believe what you see or are you gonna believe what God said? Are you going to believe in the pain of your past? Are you going to believe in the plan of his promise? Are you going to believe in your shame and your sin? Are you going to believe in your savior and his salvation? We're in this battle for our agreement, which means when you say amen in any moment in this service, you're not just shouting something out or you're not putting a period at the end of a prayer, but you're putting an exclamation point at the beginning of a declaration. You're saying, so be it. Let that live in my life. I'm in alignment and agreement with God wants to release right now. Amen. Is there an amen in the house tonight? Okay, we're going to do so good. Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the Never Incorrect Version, also known as the NIV, Mark chapter 2. Are you there? If you, no one's there. Cool. It's on the screen for everyone here. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some, un, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Look to your neighbor and say, this is getting ugly. And they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? I'm going to do my nasally synagogue, you know, voice that I like to. This is what there is. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Sorry, that's just my voice. I just, that's how I hear it every time I read it. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's how these nasally Christians, religious leaders sounded. 
Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and this is like the most gangster story ever. This guy says no words, by the way. Like, he's, he's an extra in the movie. He doesn't get played for his part. He gets dragged in. He gets healed and saved and walked out. Doesn't even, it's like, oh, okay, cool. That was epic. Great night. Good Sunday night at Free Chapel. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of, of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can I just tell you, friends, that should be the logical conclusion of every time we gather to encounter Jesus. We should walk away and say, this is amazing. Can I just tell you what I expect the end of this night to be like? This is amazing. We've never seen anything like this before. If you're taking notes tonight, and I encourage you to do, we're halfway through the message already with an introduction, but there is going to be a message here. If you're taking notes, it's two words. It's super simple, and it's, it's messy. It's messy. Touch two to three people and just say, it's messy. It's, 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 it's messy. Can I pray with you this evening? Father God, I thank you for what you've already done in worship today. God, I thank you for this, the lives that were impacted. Lord, all the people that made a decision for you in the first two services today and all of the campuses of Free Chapel. God, we thank you that you're not just doing the next thing, you're doing a new thing. God, I pray tonight you see every season, every circumstance, every situation, every need that each person brought into the room tonight. And I thank you, God, we didn't come into the room to a God who's empty-handed. But we have a God that can supply all of our needs. We have a God that can change our lives. Even right now as we speak, I thank you that the power of God is beginning to walk in and through the room. We thank you that sickness has no place here. Cancer has no place here. We thank you, Lord, that the, 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 the chains and of pain of the past is being broken. God, I pray this would be a night of freedom in a way we've never experienced before. God, we give you all the honor, all the praise. We love you so much. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, um, if, you, if you don't know this, um, we just had our fourth I didn't do anything, but me, my wife just had our fourth baby. Yeah, 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 thanks. People are like, that's, that's, you. oh, we got pictures. I didn't know that. Even better. That is Grayson Graham. That's Adele. That's, that's my other buddy up there. Forget his name. Dalen Justice, just joking. You stop forgetting these names after you get four. And, um, you know, I got to be honest, when you, when you, when you get pregnant, and you tell people you're having a kid, like your first kid, everyone's excited. You know, like the random strangers, the, the gas station attendant, your Starbucks barista, like, oh, we're having a baby, first one. You're like, yeah, and they're like, yeah. Like everyone's high-fiving, it's awesome. When you have your second kid, you're like, hey, we're pregnant with our second. People are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Third kid, they're like, huh. When you tell people you had your fourth kid, they're like, who's your pastor? Like, you need some accountability. Like, you've lost it. So just so you know, we've had our fourth kid, but by divine design, not by default, on purpose and, and as desire. And I know as these kids started stacking up in our life, how many of you got more than one kid? Two kids, three kids, four kids, wow. five kids. Someone get the money right now. Like someone started feed the six kids. Good Lord. They got to keep six kids. Good Lord. I'm going to get you a gift card. Like, you guys are heroes. 
Now that's weird, just joking. <laughs> when these kids start stacking up, I mean, it just gets crazy and there's chaos. And, you know, I, I got to be honest, like, I like having clean things. I, I actually enjoy cleanliness. Like, I, I enjoy things in order. And um, one of my great friends, Dominic, who founded the Oregon Reference, he's preached here. And, you know, he quickly journeyed when I had, I think, a second or third kid. He goes, hey, bro, how, how come every time I get in your car, it's just clean? Like, it's just, you know, it's not messy. And I go, well, I've realized, man, your kids can't drive in your car unless you have a car seat. So I just never put the car seats in my car. And then my wife orders them from Amazon and I send them back. I'm like, I don't want this car seat. We're only allowed enough car seats to fit in her car because I've been to her car. Now, before you laugh at my wife and I lose at home, I want to be very clear. My wife's not messy. She wants you to know she's not messy. Kids are messy. She's not a mess. They're a mess. She's their parent. And when you go into the minivan, let's just be honest. Like there's, I actually did like an inventory, like it was CSI before I was writing this message and all the things I found in the car, empty banana pills. You have crusted PB&Js, like just sitting there in the corners, tons of water bottles, always one dirty diaper, always one wet diaper from the beach. Apparently my kids go to the beach when we're not looking, take buckets of sand, come back to the car and just do this over and over again. And what you don't do, if you know, if you're riding in a parent's car and you're in the backseat, you never stick your hands in the door like you don't know what's inside it's like what's behind door number one gum a snot bubble vomit like they literally they think that's like the bag in the airplanes where they just vomit into there and you're like you don't I actually never even want to go to the back I don't even look to the back of the van the reality is this that I've learned you can have a clean car or kids you can't have both it's part of the job description Right? Being a parent doesn't mean you have to be messy or be a mess, but part of the job description of being a parent is that it's going to be messy and there's going to be a mess. You know, when we turn our attention really to this passage of scripture and, and really the context that actually invites us into the conversation, which is Jesus Christ on the planet, I want you to understand a, a few things. When Jesus shows up, there's this Bible that we now read, this this, the scripture that we, we live from, but this wasn't composed over 60 days or 60 years. This, this entire Bible was composed over 1,600 years with 40 different authors comprised of 66 books that was written in three different languages or in three different continents. And somehow this entire book, the thing that we live our life on and live our life from all points, not to a set of principles, not to a set of practices, not to a behavioral modification plan, this entire book, all of those authors, all of those years, all of those languages, all point to one person, not a principle. And that person is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ shows up 2,000 years ago, when God begins to put skin on and walk amongst us, it looks drastically different, I need you to get this, than people expected it to be. There is a group of people called the, the, the Israelites, the, the Jews, that had actually been waiting for the Messiah. They, they knew the promises, they knew the prophetic words, and they're waiting for this, this man to show up. But when Jesus showed up, he looked drastically different than they expected. 
And the greatest difference was where Jesus ended up spending his time and who he ended up associating with. We would have thought like they thought that he should have spent his time with the religious elite, that he should have been with the spiritual leaders of the day, the practitioners of the law, those that were waiting. We would expect that he would show up in a Sunday service at night or in a small group on Wednesday or that he would show up where, where people actually had the version app on their phone and maybe a seven day streak. And you know, like we think he would spend his time with those that knew him. But Jesus does not associate with who we expect him to associate with. Jesus begins to be friends with sinners. Jesus begins to hang out with the overlooked and the marginalized and the outcasts and the hurting and the broken. Jesus becomes friends with pimps and thugs and hookers. In fact, Luke 15 says this. It says that Jesus had become friends with notorious sinners. These guys were so good at sinning, they had to use an adjective to describe the level of their sin. You weren't just sinners, you were professional, notorious, figured it all out, cracked the code on sin. That's who Jesus was hanging out with. And because Jesus associated with lost people and hurting people and broken people, because he had a message and a love that invited everyone in, friend, I don't know what journey you're on, but you're accepted. Listen, you don't have to believe before you belong. You're a part of a church that says you can be family. We're willing to take the journey with you. His message and his grace invited everyone in, which meant crowds and critics and, and, and haters and lovers. Everyone wanted to hear Jesus. You want to know why? Because the news was too good to be true. Friend, our services should be filled with people flooding to hear the truth because there's no way he's that good and there's no way he loves that much and there's no way he can do a miracle in your life. So much so that people say, I just got to hear the news. And in one of these environments, Jesus is now at a house and there's a crowd. The crowd's gotten so big, there's no room in the house and crowds flooded out the doors and the Bible tells us that there's some, some guys who saw this paralyzed man. This is Mark 2, the context. And they said, let's, let's carry him to Jesus. Let, let, let's carry him. And as I was reading this passage of scripture, it's, listen, it's such a simple revel, a revelation, but it will do a work in your life. I heard God say, listen, they, they, they carried them to Jesus. They carried him on his mat. And I was like, Jesus, that's not like, I need more preaching material than that. And then he said these words, and I want, you, I want us to get it. For those of you who are Christ followers that are journeying toward Jesus, I really want you to hear this. Jesus said, Jedediah, you need to understand that the majority of humanity will never make it to me unless someone carries them. The majority of humanity that are hurting, that are addicted, that are strung out, that have been con confined to a mat, a mat of identity, a, a mat of insecurity, that have confined to this limiting space that says you'll never be more, or you can never have this, or you'll never be something significant, or you'll never walk in destiny, or you'll never fulfill purpose, or you'll never add any intrinsic value to humanity. There's this mat that humanity has been stuck in, and Jesus wants us to know that there's just some people that will never find Jesus. There's some people that never meet Jesus. There's some people that will never experience Jesus unless we are willing to get with them and carry them to Jesus. And if we're to be honest, this is probably not this church, but maybe this has been me at some point in my life or you at some point in your life, but sometimes we sit back as safe Christians and look at people stuck in their mat, stuck in their sin, and we almost go, when are you going to figure it out? 
Well, when are you going to stop the hate? When are you going to start loving? When are you going to stop the cycle of debt? When are you going to get it out of an addiction? When are you going to start thinking for yourself and acting different? Have you been there before? We almost sit back and go, when are you going to get there? Not knowing they will never get there without Jesus. And they can't get to Jesus unless someone carries them. And if you were to be honest with your journey towards Jesus, didn't someone carry you? I can tell you from my life, there's so many moments, whether it was a, a high school teacher, a youth pastor, my coach in college, my own wife. I didn't even want to be a part of church. And she's like, you don't have an option. If you're dating me, you're going to church. And there's people, the only reason why I'm here today is because yesterday and a year ago and 10 years ago, someone was willing to carry me. And many of you are here today because someone was willing to carry you. And then somehow we buy into this perfect Christianity and our traditions and our processes and our procedures and principles. And we forget how we journey to Jesus and expect the lost to get there differently. There's people that will never. Are you hearing me? It's time for us to stop criticizing and start caring. It's time for us to stop judging and start loving. It's time for us to not walk away from the world or walk around the world, but grab a hand and say, I'm willing to walk with the world. It's time for us as believers to change the labels and titles that we've been putting on the lost. It's time for us when the world says broken, we should say beautiful. When the world says empty, we should say made whole. When the world says abandoned, the church should say accepted. When the world says you can't, we should say you can. When the world says sinner, we should sit back and say Savior. Don't get me fired up. I'm preaching better than you're responding. I get it. There's people that are never going to get into this room unless you bring them into this room. And they carry, I love this. They carried, we could get the keys up just so I can end somewhat on time. They carried them with his mat. The two by four inch space that you gotta understand, then just define him, it can bind him. If it was sin, he sat in it in the day and he slept it in at night. He had concluded he would never move off of his mat. Some of you are here. You have friends that are here that have concluded, I'm never going to get out of this cycle. I'm never going to get over this thought process. I'm never going to break through in freedom. You've concluded this mat is your lot in life. And what I love about these four guys, who can I tell you something? Many preachers go, these four friends. We don't know if they're friends. Read your Bible. Do your own biblical due diligence. It does not say they were friends. They had united for a common ground. They, it didn't matter their denomination. It didn't matter their race, their ethnicity, their pedigree. They simply said, hey, I don't know you. You don't know me, but we know him. And this guy's got to get there so we can unite with our differences. We can unite with our issues around the same thing, which is how do we carry this person to Jesus? And they carried him, hear me, friend, with his mat, with his mess, with his issue, with his problem. Can I encourage you? Let's bring people to church and we don't care what they look like, what they sound like, what they smell like, what's going on in their life. Bring your mess, bring your issue, bring your pain, bring your past, bring your problem, bring your sin and bring your shit. Bring it to Jesus. And they carry him. They carry him to Jesus and Bible says there's a crowd they can't get in and so they go up to the roof now they're late 
You know why they don't have a front seat? Because they're late. Many of you, I watched you come in late. I'm just joking. <laughs> Pastors know. We're always here. There she is again, 22 minutes late. We know. I'm just joking. What I love is that they weren't worried about being on time alone. I'll just let you know. I'm sure your leadership would say the same. I'd rather you show up 40 minutes late with someone who needs Jesus than 20 minutes early alone. Say that again. I'd rather you show up late with someone hurting and broken and hopeless and overlooked and left out than show up sitting here early alone. We have to be willing for people to come in late, for people to get bussed down from a city. We got to be willing for people to come from the front door, the side door, the back door in a way we never thought before because we just want them. And they can't get through the door. They can't get through the window. They climb up the back and they go, you know, we can go through the roof, which meant they were willing to do whatever it took. You know, this one day LA campaign you're being invited to, you know what we're just saying? We're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing. Is it a million hours of service? Is it 20,000 volunteers? Is it, you know, a, a homeless program? Is it foster care support? Is it fighting the injustice and incarceration? Like, we're just, anyone just willing to do whatever it takes? And they can't get in, so they go to the roof. I'm going to fast forward quickly. And those days, you just need to understand, those, those days, a house was probably about a one to two bedroom room. Most houses back then were only one room not even with a bedroom, just one room. And if you had wealth, maybe two rooms. So imagine the entire house is probably the space of the stage. Now I've been to a one room house before in Cambodia and I'll never forget if it's a one room house, everything's in one room. You need to get this. So there's the bed and there's the clothes and there's the crock pot and, and there's the food on the ground. And there's things that like everything's in one space. So imagine they go to the house and there's people all over this person's space. Stepping on his bed, stepping on his sheets. And they can't get in and they go, you know what, let's just get through the roof. And the roofs back then were, were, were wood that was, you know, put together branches. And then they took wet mud and packed it together to make dirt a hard substance. And so the Bible says they began to dig through the roof. Now imagine, just go to that moment. They're digging through the roof and what's happening? Dirt and branches are falling down. It's messy. See, most people read this passage of scripture through the lens of the paralyzed man. Many people preach this message from the lens of the four friends who weren't even friends. But has anyone communicated from the posture and the position of the homeowner? Especially if you're a perfectionist homeowner. Come on, you know who you are. Like, don't you dare RSVP and then bring two extra people. Did you fill out the Ebright lit? Like, if you didn't do the end, like, you don't get to come in. And then like, you're, you're that one homeowner that locks doors. Like you can't go upstairs, off limits, can't go in that closet, can't go, can't open the garage, not a chance, everything's perfect. Come on, you know who you are, don't look at your spouse, but that's her. But this homeowner, first of all, Jesus comes to his house and there's more people coming over than he expected. It's supposed to be a few people, maybe the disciples, all of a sudden, his one room apartment now has people standing on his bed, breaking his plates. You know, it says it was packed to full capacity. That means all of his personal belongings were being disrupted. The things that he had organized were being disorganized. And now all of a sudden, these four punks are ripping a hole through his roof and mud's coming down. And the Bible clearly tells us he doesn't stop it. 
Because when Jesus comes to your house, friend, you gotta be willing to get messy. You gotta be willing to get dirty. You gotta be willing for it to be more time than you thought and more exhausting than you wanted. You gotta be willing for your life to get out of order. And you gotta be willing for it to not to be perfect, but it to be pleasing to God. You gotta be willing to get messy. And he doesn't stop the mess because he wants the miracle. He doesn't stop. I can only imagine that when the day's done and everyone leaves, he's like, I gotta fix the broken plates and I gotta wash the dirty sheets and I gotta repair the walls and the stinking roof. I gotta believe that he looks back and goes, it's so worth it. I don't think he complained for one second. He saw a lame man walk. He saw a dead man get saved. He saw Jesus. What are we missing out on because we don't want it to be messy? What miracle are we missing out on as a church, as an individual, as a nation, just because we don't want to get dirty or messy? Just because we don't want to be associated with thugs or criminals or crooks or hurting broken people. Listen, friend, it is the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. Which is why Jesus says, I'll leave the 99 and I'll search for the lost coin and I'll embrace the lost son because I want to restore my lost things, my sons and daughters who are mine. And what I love about this story is it's the homeowner's not the only person who's willing to get messy. Right in the midst of all of it. I apologize if I get emotional, I can sense it, so I'm, just, I'm sorry. If you could just see Jesus in this moment, right in the midst of the mess, the crowd, the chaos, the calamity, broken dishes, dirty sheets, open roof, mud, dirt everywhere, while he's preaching, it's just falling. Jesus doesn't go, what are you doing? I'm in the middle of a service. I'm orating a message. You know who I am? The dirt's falling down and the Bible says he looks up to them and he smiles. Here's what's crazy. Can I just tell you about how scandalous the grace of our God is? Friend, let me introduce you to a Jesus I guarantee you didn't know. He looks at their faith and then forgives him of his sins. Did he say the sinner's prayer? Did he start a discipleship program? No, Jesus says, because of your faith, you're saved. He's like, I didn't even say anything. You want to talk about scandalous grace? You want to talk about a grace that we're not preaching often enough? Jesus looks at their faith and then says, you're saved. Come on, could there be a faith of a 20,000 person army that would march into a city with love? Could there be a faith that we put on full display that God looks at and says, it's messy, but I love it. Your faith, you're forgiven. Dirt's just coming down. Mud's just coming down. Can I just tell you something, friend? He's covered with dirt, Jesus. Just, you know he's covered in it. Doesn't stop for one second to address it. You want to know why? He knows what to do with dirt. He's a master in dirt. 
This whole thing called earth started because of dirt. Your very existence came from dirt. The world we know and the world he built, the world he loves, existed out of the dirt. He's a master with dirt. He's the master of taking broken pieces and taking masterpieces, the shard, fragmented, fractured areas of your life. He begins to build together this beautiful mosaic for God's glory to shine through. Our God is comfortable and works best in our mess. The question, friend, please don't hear me you asking this. Please hear the Spirit asking you this. The question, friend, is not if Jesus is willing to get messy. The question is, are we? The question is, are we willing to get messy for it to be dirty? Hear me, not because you're a mess. Not because we have to create it. Listen, Christians, we don't need to create every mess. We need to be okay with it. We don't need to originate it. The question is, are you willing to get messy? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.